Hey, Startup Nation, I am so glad you came back to join us for another edition of The Startup Life. You clearly are ready to get the tools you need to get ahead of the competition. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating while you're here. Now, if you're looking for an ad-free experience, go ahead and sign up for our Patreon page, where you will get exclusive content and access to our digital products that we're beginning to launch. The link is there in the show notes. And if you want to ask questions directly to some of our guests, follow the Startup Life Podcast Club on Clubhouse as some of our conversations will start to happen. Happen there. But back to the task at hand. Are you ready to level up? Of course you are. Get ready as the Startup Life Podcast begins now. It's time to be about that life. The Startup Life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is the Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career minor professionals. You know, Startup Nation, a few weeks back, we had on my guy Rob Lackenauer, uh on the show, and we were talking about his his uh, his partner over there at Banyan Capital, and guess what? We have his partner here today on the show. He is the co- co-author of the Harvard Business Review Family Business uh, Handbook. Again, Startup Nation, that book is available now. The link is there in the show notes for easy access. And he's also here to talk about a report about family business businesses as it relates to the pandemic. I definitely think you want to stick around for our conversation today. He's also a professor, adjunct professor at Columbia University. He is my guy, uh, co-partner, co-founder of Banyan Capital, Josh Barron. I mean, Banyan Global, my apologies. Josh Barron. What's up, man? Hey, Dominic. How are you? I can't complain, man. I'm living a dream, man. Thank you so much (laughs) for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Josh, we've been asking a lot of people, kind of before we get into the report and stuff like that and the book a little bit, uh, we've been asking people, uh, you know, you know what's been going on the past 12, 13 months. It's definitely one for the record books. What are some professional... (laughs) or personal lessons that you have kind of taken and implemented in your professional and personal life uh, that you won't ever forget, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, as you said, what a, what a strange time. I mean, I, I, prior to COVID really spent most of my weeks on the road, you know, go somewhere every week, whether it was to meet with clients or, you know, I teach, I live in Boston, teach in New York. So right. just a lot on the road. And, um, you know, I that it went basically from from almost all out to uh, to to none at all in in a, in a couple of weeks there. Right. And um, you know, I, I look. I mean, I I think it really has led to. It's really made me think about was what I was what I was doing before the best way to do my job. I hear that. And um, you know, like is is you know, and when when things go back to some version of normal, whenever that is, and whatever that is. I do think there are going to be some lasting changes to how we think about, you know, work, travel, uh, you know, Absolutely. being able to p- teach in the classroom, all those kinds of things that I think we, um, you know, took for granted a certain way uh, of working and doing things. And I, and I think it's all going to be questioned and to good end. You know, I think it's still, you know, in my practice, it's re- there are certain things you can only do by being in person. But now that we're all used to having, you know, Zoom and everything, everyone's got their their setups. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do that don't involve having to fly across the country or or, or, or sort of con- consolidate a whole, you know, a, a month's worth of conversations into a day because it's more convenient for travel. Right, right, for sure. No, we're definitely seeing a lot of those changes as far as like remote work and, and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I definitely uh, appreciate 
that for sure. But, you know, that kind of leads us to uh, this report. Startup Nation, if you look there in the show notes, you'll see a link to the startup blog, to the Startup Life podcast uh, website there. And there we have the link to uh, a report by from uh, Banyan Global, the family business pulse and response to the pandemic. We're seeing how uh, how family owned ran businesses are have been responding to uh, the pandemic in response to how they relate to and how they uh, work with each other, how uh, they kind of work with their employees as far as like all the changes and stuff like that. And so but kind of before we dive into the report, uh, Josh, just kind of tell me, like, what made you guys create this? I'm just curious about. Yeah. That. Yeah. Oh, it's a great question. I mean, I think back to, you know, the April, May of last year timeframe, I I think we had no idea what was going on and what it all meant, uh, but we knew that it was disruptive. And um, I think what we wanted to do was just to, is just to get some, get some feedback from, from folks around the world and, you know, from family businesses that we know and that part of our network just to, I guess two things. First of all, just to highlight the fact that people weren't alone and struggling Absolutely. through this time. Right. And secondly, to try to gather some concrete actions that people are doing, some suggestions that could be shared with others. And so basically, we did this survey because we weren't sure how what else we could do to try to be helpful, uh, and, and you know, got some good good response. And then basically wanted to about six months later, so the back end of last year. One just to do a checkup and see, you know, how are people how are people dealing with it? And what what things have stayed the same? What things have changed? Um, as there was a little more clarity as to how COVID was affecting businesses of different kinds. For sure, you know, one of the things that kind of stood out to me is said that eighty percent respondents are optimistic about the future. Yeah. you know what I mean. You know, yeah. even with everything going on, uh, which yeah. is great for. Uh, the startup community, but, you know, but, but also it's great for, you know, uh, the different economies. Cause I know you, you talk to different businesses from around the world. Uh, but you know, it's great for all those economies because that means there's job creation and stuff like that and stuff like that. Kind of talk about that optimism a little bit, Josh, if you don't mind. Yeah, I was so happy to, to see that. Uh, and in, in talking to families, uh, both in my advisory work and, and in the classroom as well, I, right. I think that that's, that's real. Uh, and and I agree with you. I mean, if you look all the statistics on what's creating jobs, a lot of it comes from from startups, from um, from family businesses. This is a huge chunk of the economy. And so, for you know, at least uh, uh, you know, for this, the folks we talk to to feel that optimism is is really valuable. Um, I think it comes from a few different sources. One is I think everyone is predicting that this is a different type of of economic catastrophe sure, than like sure. the Great Recession. It's not. You know, it's it's nothing other than we basically had to shut the economy down in order to to try to stop the spread of the pandemic. And so the belief is, and I think it's a fair one, that once we get the pandemic really under control, that the economy should come kind of coming back and, and maybe even roaring back. And that's kind of what happened after the last major pandemic in you know in 1918, 19. We have the roaring 20s, this incredible right. period of of growth and expansion. So I think partly it's it's that. Um, partly, I think it's that you know family businesses in particular tend to do comparatively better in downtimes than good times, right? So it doesn't mean they don't suffer when the economy suffers, but they suffer less, and that's because during you know they're not as aggressive uh, growing. Um, they tend to be more conservative with the balance sheet, not borrowing as much money, right. not necessarily you know taking as much risk. 
And, and during the growth times, that, that holds them back a little bit. During times like this, when, when people are laying off employees and so on, um, it's actually a help. There's not a need to, to cut as much. And so as the, biz, as, the, as the business world starts to regenerate, as the economy starts to get going again, there's a sense that, you know, actually we're pretty, we're in pretty good shape. We, we've made some right. tough choices to try to really, you know, cut the fat Absolutely. Uh, to, to kind of make the hard calls that maybe we've been putting off for, for a few years, but we haven't had to cut as deeply or as much as some of the other companies in our industry that are more responsive to the quarterly earnings cycles and, and public markets and those kinds of things. For sure. For sure. No, I, I definitely understand that. And, and in that same vein, one of the questions you also asked, you know, I guess to kind of go on the opposite side of the optimism, just a yeah. little bit here. Uh, yeah, one sure. of the questions that also asked Startup Nation was, how would you describe the business impact of COVID-19 uh, so yeah. far? And, and I see the highest number, 34%, was minor negative impact. 32% was suffered significantly. Only 1% danger of failing. But, you know, you yeah. can kind of see Startup Nation, how it kind of progresses from there. You know, 8% not have been affected, 10% most positive impact, so on and so forth. And once again, that... Uh, uh, that link to that report startup nation is there in the show notes for easy access. I'm curious about something, but within that yeah. part though, uh, did it vary by industry? Did it vary by, I guess, what are some of those, those, uh, those uh, sub-level factors, if you will, yeah. when it comes to that, if you don't mind. Well, and I think there's, there's a little bit of variability, you know, I think for, you know, for sure, you know, I work. One of the families work with is in the is in the canned food business, and gotcha. they've never had a better year than last year. That, like, makes that was <laughs> that was a great yeah. business to be in. <laughs> right. Others that are in the travel business, there's never been a worse a worse year for them. So, right. overall, I think absolutely, it's it's dependent on the industry. What I would say though, and, and maybe this is trying to put like you know a bit of a positive spin. When we sure. asked that question the first time. It was 90% that had a negative impact mm. of some kind. It went that went down. If you can combine the categories together, it went down to about two-thirds. So there's and the number that have seen a positive impact went from about five percent to almost twenty-five percent. So there there definitely was a shift, you know, which I think makes sense. There was just so much uncertainty happening in back in the March-April timeframe of the first survey versus the November, right. December one of the second of the second survey. I think the other thing that's sort of the kernel, as you said, is that uh, the kernel of positivity there is that m there, there are not that many, at least that kind of reached out to us that uh, we're in danger of failing, that most were going to suffer and it was going to be tough, but a sense that we're going to be able to make it through uh, this kind of an environment. And, and I think that actually speaks to one of the qualities of family businesses, which is their, their resilience that they've been through. You know, when you've been around for 20, 30, you know, 100 years, maybe some of them, um, you've been through all kinds of different crises. And there's a level of confidence that comes with having navigated this to say, yes, it's going to be terrible. We're going to have to make some tough choices. We're going to have to work harder. Um, but this too shall pass. Like we will make it to the other side. And of course, not all not all are are able to. Uh, but I think the, the vast majority, um, you know, are, are sort of are sort of able to navigate and make it through this, this tough time. For sure. You know, it, it, it kind of makes sense that, you know, you talked about the previous report in the one now it makes sense because like it, it was still like either, you know, it kind of new in the thick of it, not really yeah. sure. And it's kind of like, I'm not going to say we've gotten used to the pandemic, but we've basically gotten <laughs> used sure. to the pandemic. And so, yeah. and so well, I go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, I was going to say just an example. I was talking to a family business that's um, in, in sort of like um, a textile business. Yeah. And, and you know, the, their business, you know, they, they, they import from Asia. Uh, they sell in retail stores. Uh, and, you know, come March, April, all the supply chain from China was kind of broken. Right. And all the retail stores were, were closed. Mm-hmm. And so they're thinking this is going to be a total disaster. Um, and you know, that was sort of the March, April view. And I talked to them towards the back end of last year and they said, you know what, this was our best year ever. Um, and we were able to really, we were able to rebuild our supply chain and, you know, as, as re, you know, people actually needed the stuff we were selling. Um, so once we were able to figure out those things, figure out our channels, go more digital, all those kinds of, you know, things that companies have had to do, we were actually able to be even more profitable than we have been before. And so mm. I think I'll, for some, as I said, for some businesses, this is just an unmitigated disaster. There's no, right. there's no glass half full. It's, it's just been terrible. Um, some it's been a boon, right? If you're in right. the canned goods business or, or things like that, it's been great. And for a lot of businesses in the middle, it was this period of it going from really, really tough and disruptive uh, to something that actually turned out to be pretty good uh, for a lot of companies. For sure. For sure. No, I definitely understand that. And you were talking about tough decisions and, and stuff like that, making tough decisions and things of that nature and then answer. And I yeah. want to ask you this because I want to go back to I want to go to this next question that's in the report. And it says, Startup Nation, what steps, if any, are being taken by the family business to address the impact of COVID-19? And I think now 90 percent of respondents uh, respond to enhanced safety measures for employees. I think that's a given. Right. Even whether yes. it be you did it before or it, you yeah. maybe yeah. was voluntold by the government yes. here nor say <laughs> here nor there. Uh, Forty four percent pay support for employees, monetary donations, 27 percent and so on. And so in kind donations, other yeah. no steps taken. I'm curious about the 44 percent, the paid support for employees there. But I guess I'm curious, what's some, some, I guess dive into that one. What's some stories there? What's some, something that stood out about that 44% because that's one of the things that a lot of people, you know, we were seeing as far as like, you know, uh, uh, you know, heroes pay in for like grocery yeah. workers and, and uh, support for people who are laid off and, and stuff like that. Kind of talk about for those who decided to kind of that paid support for employees. What's, what's the story there, I guess. Well, and, and I think it's the, you know, in talking to family businesses, it's it's sort of like, you know, the stages of grief, kind of you go through these different mm, stages. I think right. there was the the stages of reaction to um, reaction to COVID. And, you know, I think the first stage was we have to take care of our people and our community as much as we can. Right. And saw a lot of examples of, of family businesses you know, cutting back on some things to try to keep as many people as they could. You know, there were some, you know, some family businesses I know that had never laid anyone off before, had mm. do, had to do it for the first time, but they were doing everything they can they could to try to keep people in their jobs. I was talking to one one business leader who's, you know, who who is in is in the travel, you know, airline adjacent business. Their their business depends on the airlines. Right. And so it was really badly affected by it. And he said, you know what? we did everything we could to try to minimize the number of layoffs. We did job sharing, you know, we did furloughs, we did everything we possibly could. And our, you know, in comparison, our, our public company competitors were basically bragging about how many people they laid off because layoffs are a sign that you're being serious about cost control. So right. I think the first stage in, in the reaction was to really try to, 
is was trying to protect people to put the safety measures into place, but also to think about how they could help. You know, I, I know of, of several family businesses that that you know manufacture. You know, they're in plastics manufacturing or in apparel manufacturing. And they shifted their lines to to make masks or other PPE kind of stuff. And so there was sort of that sort of first initial, let's do the right thing. Let's take care of people before they kind of moved into the next stage, which was, you know, how do we make sure that our business is going to be healthy enough to make it through to the other side? And then the third stage is probably more about how do we actually take advantage of this period to emerge in a better place at the end than we were at the beginning? For sure. But no, I definitely uh, understand that, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, furloughing and, and, and uh, uh, you know, coming to the hard decision of those family owned businesses to kind of lay people off and stuff like that. Yeah. Was it was it harder because it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, you're the expert here. Was it harder for them? Because, like, you know, our family owned businesses try to treat like the team members and stuff kind of like that family as well. And that makes it a little bit harder because when you talk about the bigger corporations, like there's that that separation, I guess, a little bit. You know what I mean? Is is that kind of where that comes from or is it something else? Uh, Absolutely. I think, you know, and and look, not not every family business operates this way. Not every big corporation operates the opposite way. But we're talking as a general rule, um, family businesses tend to employ people for longer. Um, Mm. They tend to have people that are more um, engaged, uh, more kind of enthusiastic about the business than than other kinds. And you're exactly right. There's very much of a sense of loyalty to people that um, that gets part, you know, it's very much embedded in the, the culture of most of the family businesses, at least that I've, that I've come across that you have people that are there for, a really long time uh, that you you develop that level of trust. In fact, I think the pro, you know many companies struggle with retention. Family businesses actually, if anything, struggle with the opposite problem that they'll people will be they'll hold on to people too long. Um, in the sense that you have someone that maybe you know the company's grown from you know uh, five million to twenty five million or whatever in revenue. It's gotten much bigger. The role's expanded, but the person in that role really hasn't been able to grow. It's not the right fit for them anymore. But we've known them forever, and we know their kids. And you know, like there's there's almost the sense to which there's there can be sometimes too much loyalty and commitment um, in those kinds of situations. But uh, as you know, in general, that's that's exactly what happens. Is that there's very much this sense of of commitment to people, of longevity, of career. Um, and because of that, when it comes time, time to make these really tough calls that companies have had to make during the pandemic, they're agonizing decisions, you know, like they, Absolutely. and not only I was talking to one family business and they said, you know, they were going through layoffs the first time they've had to, I think, think for, you know, ever. And, you know, the family basically was sort of saying, well, you know, we have to see these people in the grocery store that, you know, the people that we've laid off, like, it's really, you know, it's not like it's some sort of hatchet person comes in from the outside and just, uh, you know, there's that movie up in the air with George Clooney, where he kind of goes city to city and just lays off people. It's like, that's not at all how this works. You, you, you make these really tough calls that affect people's livelihoods. And then you might have to see them in the community. So look, these decisions are taken with an extreme amount of seriousness. And, and I think wherever possible, family businesses um, have really tried to avoid that kind of a decision and look for other alternatives. For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. I, I want to yeah. ask something really quickly. And this is in reference to 
the report and the book. And once again, that book startup nation is the Harvard Business Review Family Business Handbook, How to Build and Sustain a Successful and Enduring uh, Enterprise. And in the book, you and Rob talk about uh, that succession planning, if you will, when it comes to building a business and stuff like that. I'm curious, you know, in doing the report, maybe, you know, in, in doing the report and putting it together and asking those questions and having those conversations, did did COVID nineteen kind of alter any succession planning? Like for the exist for example, uh, maybe somebody was going to retire and they decided not to to stay just a little bit longer, or maybe some people say, you know what, I have been thinking about kind of you yeah. know shutting up, shutting down shop anyway. Maybe this is just you know divine intervention. I guess did you come across any of that and kind of putting this report together? Does that make sense? It, oh, it's a great question, and, and actually saw both of those things. Okay, I think you know it's um, there. There certainly were examples of of that. You know, you know the the you know I'm the only one that can save the business, right? Ah, so the person that had either complex, planned huh? to retire, yeah, the Superman <laughs> thing, right? It's or they planned to retire, or maybe they had even retired and they came back and said, "Look, you know, you need me here mm, in this role." And so right. I think there certainly were some families where. Um, in some businesses where it really it either you know stopped or slowed down the succession or even reversed the succession to some extent because of the sort of like uh, you know only I can save this business. So there's right. there are some of those for sure. I would say an equal if not greater number uh, that that I've seen that was the opposite. Where you know whenever you have the the kind of um, you know the the we've almost become numb to the mortality rates, but the reality is, yeah, is that true. most people know someone that either died or right. got sick. You know, it's like maybe two degrees of separation to, right. to that. For sure. And whenever you've got this experience with with mortality like that as a society, it's going to raise issues that you might otherwise have wanted to try to avoid. And maybe have told yourself like, oh, I'm healthy. That won't happen to me. And then you, you hear about someone who is healthy and, and, you know, and passed away. So I do think that there were a lot of families and I've talked to a number of families where they said, you know, look, we've been putting this off long enough. Um, thankfully, nothing happened during, um, during COVID uh, to our family, but, but it really has raised the importance of thinking and talking about succession planning. And then you have those few where actually they, they're in the middle of this because someone did pass away um, and they're right. kind of having to to navigate and deal with a succession that wasn't planned and in the middle of, I mean, that's really the worst case scenario in a sense, because you're both dealing with the grief and the sadness, right. and you're trying to have to figure out how to, um, how to, how to pick up the pieces in a time when the business itself might already be suffering. So those are, those are really the hardest ones that people have had to deal with. Absolutely. No, that's, that's definitely uh, understandable uh, for sure. Uh, you know, because I, I wanted to ask that question because, you know, I, I know, you know, some, sometimes like in, in times of crisis, you know, some people uh, emerge as heroes, like some people like, you know, they were in line to be the next, you know, uh, iteration of management or leadership of the company. And then somebody out of nowhere just kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like, you know what? No, we want to see what they have. They've kind of proven that, you know, when times get hard, uh, you know, they can kind of step up to the plate and stuff like that. So that's kind of, yeah. I was just curious about. Uh, that part of it for sure. Yeah, it's um, and and I think one of the things that you know this is definitely um, the the crisis 
really put certain certain people, but I also think certain skill sets more to the forefront. Like For sure. if you, I, I know a number of businesses that were, you know, selling through, you know, through retail stores and all of a sudden those are closed. And so we need to figure out our, our e-commerce strategy that we've been talking about for five years, but it's only 5% of our business. And how do we make it 50 or 75%? So, you know, or people that, you know, have really been, are more practiced on technology and able to help, you know, help make right. that, those kind of things happen, improve communication. So I, I think it has for sure, um, you know, created some opportunities, especially for people that are, have skill sets and, and other abilities that are, are really relevant to dealing with the specifics of this crisis. For sure. And so it really has elevated some of, some of those folks in businesses in way, and especially the younger generation, because, you know, not to stereotype, but in general, the younger you are, the more comfortable you are with, with technology. And it's, I think it's helped to raise the, the profile and, and sort of fast track some projects that might otherwise um, have kind of sat around. In, in some of these companies. For sure, for sure. Definitely understand that. All right, Startup Nation, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Check it out, Startup Nation. I know many of you are trying to improve your marketing performance, right? You have your business or your e-commerce store, and you're trying to increase that brand awareness. No worries. I got you. You should listen to the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. That's optimizing with an S and not a Z. It's a marketing podcast that will provide you with not only the latest tips and advice in the game, but also you will hear from experts in their field when it comes to email marketing, SEO, and more. This is a must-listen-to podcast for my e-commerce entrepreneurs. It's hosted by Chloe Thomas, who is a 15-year marketing expert, best-selling author, and award-winning podcast host. It's already a top-20 marketing podcast in seven countries, so clearly you're going to get amazing value every episode. So as you can see, Stoutermation, you're in good hands with my girl, CT. So listen and subscribe to the Keep Optimizing podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to get your favorite podcast. You can also get more information at keepoptimizing.com. The link is there in the show notes. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Josh Barron, co-founder of Banyan Global. And if you want to know uh, the knowings of goings of what's going on at Banyan Global, make sure you go to their website. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you listen to the replay on the podcast. And if you're uh, not listening you know, on the podcast and you're on radio, it's Banyan.Global. We have that link also, like I said, in the show notes for easy access if you are listening to the replay on the podcast. I want to ask you this, Josh, because we talked about you at the top of the show that you know you uh, teach at Columbia and, and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to, you know, this probably be a, a big part of what you teach, uh, you know, those students, you know, as far as like what's in your report and, and stuff like that. But I guess I'm curious, what are some of those other lessons that either you hope you hope they've learned during the pandemic? Maybe they've taught you some stuff during the pandemic. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, always that's one of the great things about teaching is, uh, you know, always <laughs> I get to learn as much from my students as uh as they learn from me. Right. Um, 
you know, it's uh, it's it's definitely it's been a it's been a really challenging time, and I think one of the things that it has um, brought to the forefront is making people um, maybe reassess their career options in a mm, sense because. Right. And, and I teach a lot of MBAs and that's where a lot of their focus is, you know, what am I going to do next? And, um, you know, I, I think because of the way in which this COVID, COVID has really disrupted it, it's, it's created a lot of turmoil for, for folks that they plan to go into a certain thing, but that thing is no longer there. Um, I think in a, maybe in a positive way, it has caused people to really think like, what is it that I really want to do? What am I passionate about? Um, can I make sure and really find that? Um, so I think it has sort of, I think there will be some sort of lasting impact that people that are coming into the workforce, um, are going to have to, to have to deal with and, and making sure that, you know, you, you might've had your heart set on a certain pathway that maybe not, not there, or maybe not there for a while and, and really being, being going back to the drawing board and saying, what is it that I really, what I, what I really want to do or what, what does plan B look like? Or maybe not even all is cracked up. You thought it was cracked up. Yeah. Be, you know what I mean? So no, I definitely understand that. And I, and I do know and you kind of we kind of talked about this at the top of the show uh, where a lot of those, uh, you know, MBAs, you know, you know, who are thinking about, you know what? I got to be in this locale. I got to be in that locale. And I think uh, COVID has kind of presented an opportunity or maybe a somewhat of a more realization. I feel like we were kind of moving in this direction before the pandemic mm. that maybe you don't necessarily have to live in a certain locale to do a certain job. We're starting to see a lot more remote, you know, options for, for work and, and, and stuff like that, where, uh, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. But that also seems like that also presents, I don't know if it's a good thing or a challenge or whatever the case may be, where now if you can do remote from like rural Tennessee, you can also yeah. do, you know, remote from Mumbai, India. And so now you're competing yeah. with, you know, that's, you know, that same job, you know, kind of talk about that part a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great point. Um, and, you know, look, I, I, I'm not sure where this all ends up in the long term. Sure. I, I was actually just talking to the CEO of one of the, one of our families we work with and, you know, he's definitely, they, they've had to basically go mostly remote because of the rules and restrictions in their areas. And they're still in that mode, but he said, you know what, I'm just not a, as much of a believer in that. You know, I think it's, there's, there's, there's a certain, there's a certain way in which you can do your job without being in proximity uh, to people. Right. But um, there's also something really lost. And um, I was reading a, some, a study about this that basically talked about how much of innovation in particular happens outside of just you're sitting at your desk. It's, it's like, it's like you go to the, you go to the kitchen you, you, know, you grab into coffee or something and, and you just talk to someone, you're like, Oh, what are you working on? What are you working on? Like, and, and so much of innovation happens outside of the standard meeting structure. And all of that is we're, we're missing out on almost all of it right now. Right. And right. so there's some concern that maybe we're able to kind of keep things steady and, and going, which is good enough in the pandemic um, by all being remote but what are we missing out in terms of the ability to really regenerate, to innovate, to do all the stuff that, that gives businesses their, their lifeblood? And so I actually think there's going to be some, you know, it's going to be somewhere in between. I think there, there's no going back to the, 
you know, well, I think for most businesses aren't going to go back to the nine to five, you sit at your desk, no matter what, right. uh, you know, and if you have to commute for an hour each way, that's, you know, it's your problem. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, there's, I think we're going to find some hybrid between people finding out certain things that they can do just as well at home and other things that are, they really have to be in person. It's like what I was saying about my, my job. I think what I'll find is that there are are certain meetings that I really have to be in present, you know, in person for and others where I can do just as well that we can have just as a productive of, of a meeting virtually. And that saves everyone the the travel time and expense and all that kind of stuff. So uh, my guess is that we're going to, we're going to not end up in sort of some extreme, no one ever goes to an office and therefore someone from Mumbai can do your job just as well. Um, You know, there are always going to be jobs that are, you know, can be outsourced and, and things like that. We've seen of that course. in a lot of industries, but I, I do think that we're going to end up somewhere back, somewhere in the middle, and realizing yeah. the importance both both for quality of work, but also quality of life. That we for actually sure. want those, we want those connections with our coworkers. We miss them. We need to have something like that just to keep us interested and engaged in our jobs. For sure. No, I definitely understand that. I think a lot of times when we have uh, these moments, whether it be a recession or a pandemic, I guess, you know, we we far too often do kind of go in those extremes. So when you talk about like somewhere in the middle, that's definitely probably the best place uh, to be. Yeah. So I appreciate you. Uh, yeah. It's, what, my, my, so my sister works for Prudential, the yeah. financial services company. And yeah. I, I'll, I'm sure I'll get the story not exactly right, but she was telling me that she was talking to one of their senior, I think maybe an IT or something. And and she was asking like, if we, this company go, you know, if we had to go, um, if we had to go virtual, you know, if we, if we've been asked that question pre-pandemic, if we had to get everyone into like a virtual environment, we would have done a study for like 18 months. And the answer that would have come back would have been no, we can't do it, right? Mm-hmm. And instead, they went virtual inside of like two days when the pandemic happened. So it it really, you know, it's it's forced us to to make these kinds of major changes to, right. to find way things that we didn't think were possible, but really are. And, and I think there's going to be some some positive, you know, some positive long term effects from that. But also, let's not go to the extreme and say, just like when the internet came out, I remember people saying that malls were going to die. Mm. And, uh, you know, of course, malls haven't died. Some of them, right. the, the ones that were badly positioned or too big or right. whatever, those have gone away. But, you know, the mall by my house, I still can't get a parking spot most of the time <laughs> because people people actually want to like leave their home. They right. want to go out. Exactly. They want to they want to do stuff. Right. So. Like let's 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 imagine that the the future this is going to find some point you know in the middle that combines some of the great things that we've learned, but also with some of the things that we've always known about the importance of of constant connection and and being in the same place with each other. For sure, you know, it, you know, in that same vein, you know, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people thought that you know, like you know, with AI and tech and stuff like that, that it may replace you know you know automation may replace a lot of jobs when we're actually yeah. finding that automation is is not only creating more jobs but it's also creating more productivity for the people who are already hired in those roles and stuff like that because now they can focus on uh, other things so i guess it's just a reminder to automation that like you know maybe not swing so far to either side right. you know when it comes to uh, certain things. So I appreciate you sharing that. So look, man, I got to ask this question. I think I've told Startup Nation this story 
uh, a few times, but I got to ask this question, but I got to preface it with a story a little bit. So, you know, you're, sounds good. Yeah, you're you co-founder Banyan Global Family uh, Business Advisors. You help family businesses with succession planning, the whole nine and just creating uh, uh, sustainable family ran businesses and stuff like that. I guess I'm curious about something because, you know, I guess I'm curious about you know, when you get married, because that's a family unit as well, when it's a husband and wife team and stuff like that. Yeah. The reason I ask is because I remember in my banking days where we had a, a husband and wife team, they started a company and stuff like that. Things were going well. And then whatever happened, I don't know exactly what happened. Things didn't went south as far as their personal relationship. The business itself was doing fine. And so I remember being at the bank and they're going through a divorce and they're both on the account and they both make a mad dash to the bank to you know get all the funds out of the you know out of the account like literally Josh like one person is in the drive through and the other person is at the teller window and they're literally arguing at each other throughout the you know wow. the bank and stuff like that so i guess i wow. say all of that to say when it comes to like a husband wife team or spouses in general team running a business and stuff like that before you you know, create that LLC or wherever the case may be. What are some questions or conversations you should have before, you know, you become, you know, you go from spouses to business owners. Does that make sense? It it absolutely does. And, uh, you know, I've seen some incredibly successful businesses that have been built by, by husband and wife teams. Right. Um, and, and even seen some where they kind of, you know, to your point where they actually get divorced, but still work together. Right, and that right. seems to, seems to function. But, but look, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that talk about with families is that, you know, sometimes we have this expectation that if you're going to be in business with family members, you have to be best friends with them. Gotcha. And, um, and that's actually, you know, it's, that's not the case. Like right. you don't, you really want to think about yourselves more as being good business partners. Right. And, and I think I would approach this question in a pretty similar way which is whenever you're going into business with anyone, whether you are related to them, married to them or not, there's some questions you want to make sure that you get, you get, you, you, you work your way through. Right. And, you know, for example, you know, do you have a similar vision about where this business is going and what you want from it? Right. I mean, right. are we, are we doing, are we building this business to, to, you know, make a bunch of money or, you know, and sell out in a few years? Are we doing this for, for the long term? Are we doing this, you know, for a lifestyle? And so we're going to try to balance the intensity of work with, with having free time for other things. So are you actually on the same page? Because if you're not, then that's going to be a problem. So that's one thing. Uh, another would be, do you have similar values? You don't want actually, you don't want someone who's exactly the same. In fact, you know, there's always that question that if, if, if you and I think the same, you don't need both of us, right? So there's right. a lot of value in diversity of all kinds of, of, of opinions, of experience, and so on. But it's got to be within the context of similar values. Do you, do you have, are you able to actually have enough alignment on the things that matter most to you uh, so that you're able to navigate and work through those differences as opposed to being uh, frustrated by them? And then another thing is is actually thinking about the exit at the start, right? I mean, it's always That's a good one. the the last thing you want to in some ways talk about when you're starting a business is how it ends. It's the same. It's sort of what you know. Why would you do a prenuptial agreement? Aren't you just dooming the marriage? Well, actually, you know what you're doing is you're setting rules that hopefully you'll never need. Um, but 
the best time to work on those rules is is when you're getting along because the hardest the hardest situation or one of the hardest situations to deal with is you, you're in the middle of a crisis. Your trust level is at an all time low, right? And now you're negotiating right. on who gets what. Like, how's that's not going to go well? You're no, going to end not. up paying a ton of money to lawyers <laughs> right. if you're lucky, right? And, right. Or worse. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, I think those are the kinds of questions that whether it's a husband wife team or even just any business partner, you really want to make sure that you've not. You don't want to just jump into things too quickly. Take the time to make sure that you've got the alignment on the big stuff, and that you've actually figured out what would ha- you know what would happen if things don't go if things go badly. How will we deal with that? Well, how will we divide things up? Um, you know, put those rules into practice before, and hopefully, you just it goes on a shelf and you never need it. Um, but it just it just helps in case you're in that situation. You you've at least put in place something that you thought was fair before you got into the situation and avoid that like run on the bank as you described it. Absolutely. It, it, I, I tell you, Josh, it was a sight to see. It was, it was, it was <laughs> I'm for, sure. quite crazy sure. for sure. Yeah. Start mentioning that question was brought to you by chapter 12 conflict and family business from the book, Harvard business review, family business handbook, how to build and sustain a successful enduring enterprise. And once again, start nation, that book is available now. And if you want to pick up that book, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you listen to the replay on uh, the podcast. Uh, Josh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I'm going to ask you one last question uh, for sure. Look, man, you know, there's a lot of people out there kind of experiencing some downs, you know, trying to come Mm. on the other side of uh, their their startup, you know, uh, journey or just trying to navigate the waters. I mean, we're almost out of it, but we're not quite there just yet. If you would, Josh, just give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today, if you don't mind, good sir. Absolutely. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I always think it's helpful to know that you're not alone. And that's actually probably the the single biggest reason why we did the survey Absolutely. was just to come come back and say, look, if you are if your business is suffering, you're like almost everyone else out there. And so not not to sort of think that you're the only one, to think that it's something that you did. I mean, this is this is sort of like it's it's something that we could have imagined the impact that this was going to have. And so just to take some of that pressure off, take some of that blame away and just realize that lots of people, most people are, are in the situation of this has been a, this has been a tough, tough and difficult time. Um, and, and I think really just to try to get your, your mind into the place of what comes next. And I think the, 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 the businesses that I've been talking to and, and, you know, the ones that are, that are, as you said, that are optimistic about it, the reason is because they've been thinking about how this they can use this you know horrible time to ultimately come out in a better place right and thinking about the way in which you know yes your business may have suffered but maybe it didn't suffer as so much as as others or, or maybe you've been able to reinvent and do some things that are going to have some long-term payoff um, start to really plan use that use that energy instead of trying to worry about what you've lost think about what you have to gain um, and really think about the ways in which, as this economy does come back, and it will come back, absolutely. You know, it, you know, it's it, you know, maybe not. We don't know when or 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 how or exactly, but it's going to come back. Start to think about how you're really going to position your business to be, you know, to take that next level up, and um, use your to as much as you can. Give you, you know, cut yourself some slack. Throw away those negatives as sort of like we've all been through some version of that. 
and really put yourself in that mode of how are we going to get better? How are we going to emerge on the other side in a strong place? How do we make this, you know, this year of pain uh, result in five years of good fortune? For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And Josh, I lied. I got one more question, man. I'm so yeah, sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> I got one more question because, you know, you, you, cre- you created this amazing, uh, you know, uh, report and stuff like that in the survey. And, you know, startup founders are always trying to get as much feedback as possible, as much intel as possible from target audience, consumer based clients, whatever you want to call them. Right. So I guess I'm yeah. curious, you know, and you did a fantastic job. Uh, with this survey, I guess I'm just curious what goes into a great survey to get all the information uh, you get. Because Startup Nation, when you look at this report, it has a wide ranging, uh, you know, uh, of, of questions to really hone in and and, and battleship this thing uh, to get the the data that you need. So I guess I'm just curious. Talk about that a little bit, if you know, because I think that's important for startup founders as well. Well, yeah, and I, I think one of the most valuable things that you can get as a, as a business leader and business owner is understanding your customers to Absolutely. the extent that you can. Right. And, um, you know, look, I mean, surveys a lot come down to, you know, the, the, there's a lot of questions about, you know, the right methodology of reaching the right people, making sure it's really representative. Right. You have to think a lot about um, the questions that you're designing and um, and sort of how they're going to really give you good information because a poorly designed question doesn't really get you so much at the end. Right. Um, so look, I think surveys can be can be a really valuable way, especially if they're simple. There's some really good uh, basic questions. You know, I, so mm. I, I worked at Bain and Company earlier in my career, and there's a methodology that came out of Bain called the Net Promoter Score or NPS, where okay. it's a really simple question. You ask your customers on a scale of of one to ten, how likely would you be to recommend our company, our product, our service, our or whatever to a friend or relative? And you get just just that one question can give you a tremendous amount of insight. You can do the same thing asking your employees about their level of satisfaction by understanding what they recommend that job to someone else. So looking for those things that give you a lot of a lot of bang for the buck. Um, but you know, also just recognizing surveys can can be useful, but oftentimes it's it's even better just to get out there and have those conversations. For you sure. know, really trying to to understand what your customers want, um, looking for their feedback, um, you know, putting in place ways to for people to give you feedback if they're not happy, right. taking those complaints like really seriously. Um, I was talking to one family business that's in the that's in the kind of a manufacturing business and the CEO of the business actually gets gets copied on all of the customer complaints. Mm. And the reason why he said is because you know in 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 the old days, you know, people if they had like a bad defective product, they would send them a letter and that would be kind of the end of it. And now people, when they have a defective product, they snap a picture, they upload it to Facebook or, or Instagram or whatever. And all of a sudden you've got like a, a PR crisis brewing on your hands, right? Wow. So he tries to get out in, in front of all, all of those things. So really thinking, you know, what are all the ways in which you can get usable, actionable intelligence about your customers and what they want? How are you gathering that? How are you putting it to work? How are you actually translating that into changes that you're making to to be constantly improving your your delivery to your customers? For sure. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much. And that's going to wrap up. I promise this time that's going to wrap up this <laughs> session of the startup life. We want to once again, thank Josh Barron, the author of Harvard Business Review, Family 
Business Handbook, How to Build and Sustain Successful Enduring Enterprise. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you for having me, Dominic. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on a show, send us a message. Our contact information is there in the show notes, or feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Go ahead and follow us while you're at it. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and be sure to hit us with that five-star rating. We would really appreciate that. Be sure to check out the show's website and its startup blog, where either I or some of the world's best business minds share content that will give you the edge you need in your journey, whether that's the path of entrepreneurship or climbing the corporate ladder. Subscribe to our Patreon to listen to ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and digital products that we are beginning to offer. And if you want to be part of the conversation, join the Startup Life podcast on Clubhouse to have the ability to talk directly to some of our guests. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.